Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. We are closing out the Dream Again series. Everybody say, Dream Again. Dream again. And we're uh, closing out with Moses. There we go. Moses. Moses. It says in Hebrews 11, 23 through 28, says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him. For three months after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child. They saw he was not normal. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're not normal. Turn to the person that you didn't want to turn to first. And be like, I'm sorry I didn't pick you first, but you was also not normal. Here we go. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh. By faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he kept the Passover. There's this theme that we've been trying to communicate throughout this series is that your beliefs will affect your behavior. It's that simple. If you are a pessimistic person, if you see things through a negative lens, it's going to affect the way you receive love and give love. If the way you see your life as insignificant, if you see yourself not doing anything great, guess what? You're not going to do anything great. So the, the, the scripture shows us, by faith, people have great marriages. I believe better days are ahead. By faith, people have great callings and great purposes because they believe that it's greater than them because they have a greater God. It's by faith, it's by faith. Your belief is going to affect your behavior. And so I love how it concludes in Hebrews 11. And so I wanted to save this for this last one. It's one of the most famous uh, verses in all the Bible. It's Hebrews 12. It's iconic. And people who aren't even Christians use this in sports. And it says this in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses. If you've never been to church, that huge crowd of witnesses, right before that, it's Hebrews 11. It's all these people that God used to do great things to change the world. That crowd is former prostitutes. Rahab, that crowd is former liars. That crowd is former murderers. That crowd is former deceivers and cowards. What the Bible's trying to show you is the crowd of witnesses that are surrounding you and saying, hey, if you're an adulterer and you're somebody who's been betrayed or you've done something you shouldn't have done, guess what? God still used me. If you're a gossip, if you're a coward, if you're somebody who manipulates and you betrayed people, guess what? God still used me. God used me to change the world. These are the people that are surrounding you saying, keep going, keep believing. To the life of faith, says the huge crowd of witnesses, to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Some of you need to end some relationships. It's not even my message today. Just, man, there's just some people in your life that all they do is bring death. And it, it, just, it just trips you up and it slows you down. So you, you'll go to church on Sunday and you believe, maybe my life can be actually what everything God called it to be. And then you get around somebody and they just start speaking death. And it slows you down and trips you up. It says throw it off. Some of you need to throw some relationships out. You've got to ask yourself, when you're with somebody, after you leave a relationship with them, after you leave a lunch or a coffee, whatever, do you leave going, I want to change the world? Do you leave going, man, I, I, feel, I feel inspired to be a better person. Man, when I got, got done talking to that person, I see people in a way that makes me love them more and cheer them on more. Each person is either going to cheer you on or they're going to, to be honest, the Bible says bitter roots. In Hebrew, so it says it will poison you. Some of you need to end some relationships today. Let's pray. That's it. What if I just do that? <laughs> that was a heavy message. Um, let's keep going. Easily trips up. And let us, uh, he goes, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I never want to sugarcoat Christianity. Uh, I think a lot of people come to Jesus, especially in uh, affluent societies, especially in ones that are about achieving. We come to God as a res resource and not a relationship. 
We, we come to him to, to get from him and to come to use him to, to go forward. But the reality is, is, is God doesn't want you to use him. He actually wants you to fall in love with him. And, and when you fall in love with God, it says that the, this endurance, because really you cannot love people if you not, have not been loved. You cannot actually invest in people if you've not been invested in. And so it goes on to say that how do we do this? How do we run with endurance? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because the joy awaited him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Do you know that God likes to take you from shame to honor? The world wants to shame you and God wants to actually put you in a place of honor. We honor the one that's most honorable, but God wants us to honor each other. The church should be a church of honor. We should honor each other. We should honor our, 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 our friends. We should honor our marriages. We should honor our relationships. And it goes, think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Can we do one more? Don't turn your neighbor. I usually don't do two. It's kind of a lot. You're like, gosh, I'll talk to my neighbor. Just turn your neighbor and say, don't give up. Just do it, please. 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 Thank you. Humor me. I won't do it again. I won't do it again. It's your last one. You don't even have to turn to the other neighbor that you don't want to talk to. Just the first one, okay? Just, uh, just don't give up, all right? After all, you have not given your lives and your struggle against sin. To quote the great Rocky Balboa, I tried to work on his uh, voice and I couldn't do it, so I'm not going to do it, okay? I couldn't do it. Um, so I'm just going to use my voice, but picture Rocky Balboa's voice, okay? Adrian. Um, I want it so bad. I'm not going to do it. Should I do it? No, I'm not going to do it. Okay, okay, okay. I'm not. I'm actually, you can scream as loud as you want. I'm still not going to do it. Um, It's not how many times you get knocked down that matters. It's how many times you get up. And I feel like that's what Hebrews 12 and Hebrews 11 is saying. Is saying everybody's going to fail. Everybody's going to mess up. We're going to talk about Moses today. Moses murdered somebody. Do you know how many pages in the Bible is dedicated to his failures? One sentence. That's it. But then when we write our story, we take our failures and we make it chapters upon chapters, books upon books. And God says, that's not how I write your story. And so if you're going to fall down, the Bible is saying, get up. Keep going. Faith is believing that your better days are ahead of you. That what has happened in the past, what's happening right now, does not dictate what's going to happen tomorrow. He dictates what's happened tomorrow. Come on, here we go. I regret not doing Rocky's voice, but whatever. I'm going to say one more thing and then we're going to pray. Uh, I heard a pastor say one time and it just, it's, it's always hit me. If you're not dead yet, he's not done yet. If you're not dead yet, he, he's not done yet. If there's breath in your lungs, he's not done. That's a lie from the enemy. All scripture says throughout is don't give up. And all the enemy says in your ears, give up. You decide who you want to listen to. One leads to life, one leads to victory, one leads to changing your world and changing other people's worlds, worlds, and the other one leads to death. Man, I don't want to give up. I want to keep running. Let's learn from Moses today. Does that sound good? Yeah. We you bow your heads? Lord, I thank you for what you're doing at Mission Church. I thank you for what you're doing in the church. And Lord, every Sunday I ask this, but I, I pray that this would be so true that my words would fall to the floor and that your words would soar. Lord, that your scripture, that, that your, your spirit, Lord, that, that you would do something special in, in, in this room, Lord, that you would set people free, that people in the room right now that are struggling with depression, Lord, that they would be free of that in the name of Jesus, Lord. People that have a, a, um, a rhythm of bondage, that they'd be set free today, Lord. You're after our freedom. Lord, may we be free, uh, free today. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We love you. Everybody said? Um, I don't know about you, but um, I like to get to a place and do my own thing. 
I don't want people to tell me where to go. I want to sit where I want to sit. Um, there's a reason, like, even at our church, how we do it. One of my least favorite things about church is when they have ushers, and the ushers are like, you, here, now. I'm like, oh, ooh, I don't want to be here anymore. You know? and, like, they, like, control where you sit. I just don't like it. I just want to be able to sit where I want to sit. And so I never do tour guides. I never do any of that stuff because I just, I'll go there. I'll figure it out myself. So I've been in New York, and I, you know, I'm like, I'm going to go to the big tall thing with the lady holding the torch. I think that looks cool, you know? It's called the Statue of Liberty. All right. Um, well, we go to uh, Europe for the very first time a little while ago, and, and it just kind of opened my eyes to something. It's the first time I ever used a tour guide. We decided to do a tour guide because it's Paris. We went to Rome, went to a couple other cities, and we don't know the language that well, so we got a tour guide. And I'll never forget it. The tour guide picks us up at our hotel in Paris. And we're like, oh, we're going to see these amazing things in Paris. They're going to show us things that we wouldn't be able to see. Because, again, they know the city. They know the things. And so we get in the, the van from the tour guide. And I, I kid you not, ask my wife. Uh, we get in the tour van. The glazier's with us. We get in the tour van. And they drive us 100 feet across the street and park it. And I'm like, you just drove me. I'm right there. And you drove me to this building. Why would, aren't we going to do the tour? Is it, oh, we, we need to start here. I'm like, Why? This is one of the most historic, most important uh, places of all of Paris. What? And I'm like, I thought it was just by the crepes. I just thought this was the crepe place. He's like, no, no, no. And we walk back literally just a few feet, and he walks us into this courtyard, and it's one of the first places in all of Paris that was established. And he shares the history behind it. And I was like, you're telling me that I was here the whole time and across the street. And then my wife, of course, points out, and the tour guide points out, and right there is the house of the gentleman who wrote Les Miserables. I was like, what? You know, I was like, first of all, I don't like that movie, by the way. It's miserable ones. Like, I, I got a bone to pick with that guy. I'm going to write a play about everybody's lives just being terrible. The miserable ones is what it means. Uh, so I didn't go look at the house, whatever. Um, as a pastor, at times, I, I feel like a tour guide. Because a lot of you have no idea. You're, you're right here. And I just want to say, if you would just come right here, you would realize it's the greatest place on the planet. And it's called Jesus. It's called freedom. It's called peace. But a lot of people just go, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to walk around. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy the world. Because if I went to Paris, I, I don't even know what I would look at besides Eiffel Tower. Because that's all I know where to go. But the Bible says it's our guide. It's a lamp. It's a light for our feet and our path to show us where we're supposed to go. So many of us, we don't want to be guided. And so for years, upon years, upon years, we just lose, we lose joy because we go to find it in other places. And we don't find joy there. My prayer is that you would allow Moses' life to guide you today. That he could be the tour guide of your life and say, man, you're just a step away from freedom. What if God was after your freedom? What if the level that you surrendered to God was a level that you would experience freedom? What if the level that you surrendered to God would be the level of how much he would bless you? What if? What if this whole story of Moses and, and Exodus really is a greater story about Jesus after our own lives to set us free from bondage, to set us free from the culture that is this thing called Egypt and Rome? What if that's what it's all about? I, uh, I remember an old story that I used to share as a youth pastor, but uh, I'm going to share it with you because I feel like some of you need to hear it today. Um, we're going to talk about plagues today. It's going to be really exciting, okay? Um, there's a handful of plagues that happens to Egypt, but I, I, you hear this in sports. Man, the guy's just plagued with injury. Man, I just feel like I'm plagued with bad relationships. Man, I just feel like I'm plagued with just not catching a break. I just feel plagued by this. And there's this man who came to the doctor and said, man, my whole body hurts. My whole body hurts. And he's like, what do you mean? He's like, when I touch here, ow, it just hurts. Oh, oh, pain, pain. Oh, it just hurts. It hurts. Oh, you know, well, he touches his foot. He's like, oh, it just hurts. And the doctor looks at him. He goes, you got a broken finger, man. You got a broken finger. You were so dumb. 
But if I could just be honest, a lot of you, so many things are hurting and so many things are broken because there's only one thing missing and his name is Jesus. You don't need a hundred things. So, so many of us think we need to do this and this. I love the one at a time. One person at a time. And if you can experience all, all God is trying to do is get his, his presence, his truth to his people. If they can get me, they get everything. So Moses, we're going to look at Moses is prepared. We're going to look at Moses is um, uh, called, and then Moses is used, and then we're going to talk about Jesus a little bit. Does that sound good? So Moses is prepared. Moses is prepared. Uh, turn your Bibles to Exodus. Exodus. If you got your Bibles, if not, we're going to put it on the screen for you. Moses is prepared. Uh, it's, an, it's an amazing moment uh, in Exodus. Uh, we just finished Jacob last week. So God makes his promise to Abraham that, uh, that his people, that this new nation that God is raising up would be more numerous than the sand. And we started to see this promise come to fruition in Egypt. And because it's come to fruition, here's what the, um, uh, here's what the king says. Now, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Do you know the enemy knows that we are too many and we are too mighty for him? We are, we are too mighty for the enemy. He knows it. So here's what he goes for. Behold, the people of Israel are too mighty and too, uh, too many for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. I don't know about you, but businesses today are exploding that are helping people save time. So like there's like this big thing, like who orders from meal prep? Anybody order from meal prep? I'm kind of intrigued. I'd love to know which one you do. Like either I'm getting in my Instagram feed. It just delivers to your house. You don't have time to prepare your food. We'll prepare it for you. You know what I'm saying? Door dashes. Like who, who door dashes uh, once a week? Raise your hand. Or Uber Eats. Come on, let's see who the people are. I have a, my people, my people. Who does it more than twice a week? Are my hands still up? My still hands up. Okay. Who door dashes Taco Bell? That's not me. That's my wife. Okay. Um, <laughs> put her on blast. Um, uh, but we're just, again, we're trying to figure out how do we save time. And if you actually look at Exodus, the enemy, the enemy wants to attack God's people and he attacks two ways. He says, I want to deal shrewdly. I want to take all of their time away. And the other thing is I want to destroy their families. I want to kill their kids. This is what the enemy wants to do because he knows if they start getting any steam and realize how powerful they really are, the enemy would be defeated. And so God hears their cries and there's this man named Moses and Moses is being prepared. Now, if we could just look at Egypt and look at America. Egypt is known from, for power and prosperity. When mankind has power, do you know what happens? People get oppressed. When we give our power to God, people get set free. It's a fascinating picture. God uses the power of the church not to oppress people, but to set people free. He uses his power to free people, not to oppress people. But when mankind gets power, you see oppression becomes extremely rampant. And so people are being oppressed at this time because of the power. Prosperity. You think prosperity would be great, but you know what prosperity always brings in the Bible? It brings bondage. It brings idol worship. And so Egypt, they have more gods than you can count. They have gods for everything. They got gods for flies, gods for gnats. I mean, who wants to have a gnat god or a fly god? Like, come on. Like, but you know what happens when you're prosperity? Like, I need to find another idol because all I got time for is idols. It's just our culture. They have this Nile River, and it's known for uh, being the prosperous thing. It would bring a ton of soil that basically, if you know America, America's the uh, land of the free, the home of the brave. Egypt would be the home of the Nile because the Nile brought money. So they created a god that would worship the Nile. You look at the early church in the book of Acts, and God prepares 
12 people. And those 12 people become these leaders of the church. And the book of Acts, it's birthed in this Roman culture. And the Roman culture is marked by power and prosperity again. And I think the more and more that our world looks like Roman Egypt, the more and more the church needs to look like Acts. We need power. Oh, power not of this world. We need, we need pr- people of prayer. We need people willing to say, I will separate from culture. Because it says it was by faith that Moses said, I will not be identified as a son of Pharaoh. I'm going to be identified as a son of the living God. And so we get to choose. Do we want to say to our culture, and we look at scripture, it says, the only way this happens is we realize that God has been preparing you this whole time. So Moses, if we could just get a little synopsis, Moses is born, he's not normal, his parents see it, uh, Pharaoh wants every uh, young, uh, uh, early firstborn son to be thrown in the river and killed, that's how he's trying to destroy it. It's fascinating to me, if I could just be honest, this isn't a, um, a, a male versus female thing, but it's fascinating to me that throughout uh, this thing, the enemy wants to kill the men, destroy the men. And if you look at church stats, it's easy for females to come to church. They outserve men, outgive men, outworship everything. And you wonder why guys are like, I don't want to go to church because from the day that you were born, the enemy is trying to destroy you. And I'm not saying that women aren't under attack, but I'm saying that when it comes to this story, there's something fascinating. He's saying if we could just destroy the men, we can destroy everything. I believe that one of the greatest things is when a man takes his post and says, I'm going to be the greatest husband on the planet. I'm going to serve my family. I think one of the greatest things that can happen is when a man says, I am a single man and I'm going to date women differently and I'm going to serve them differently. I think one of the greatest things a man can do is say, I'm not going to come to use things. I'm going to actually be a servant. This is one of the greatest things a man can do. And so you have this culture happening. And so Moses is, is already assigned to be, de- uh, to be killed and he's not killed. He goes down the river. Uh, it's an amazing story. Basically, the mom still gets to nurse him. He, he grows up in Pharaoh's court and he sees his people being oppressed. And guess what he does? He decides to take it in his own hands. We've all seen the movie, uh, or if you haven't, it's Prince of Egypt. It's a great Disney movie. But basically, he, uh, he kills uh, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the Egyptians and thinks that he's taking care of it that way. Finds out that somebody saw it, and now he's afraid, and so he flees. He flees to Midian for 40 years. I would call this the detour season. Do you know that God is a God of detours? He's a God of detours. And if, if I'm just being honest, I think a lot of you, we despise detours. We despise these seasons where we're like, God, where am I? What is going on in my life? But if I could just show you that scholars and theologians look at these 40 years of Moses' life, the preparation season, he gets out of Pharaoh's court. He gets out of the culture of entitlement. He gets out of the culture of indulgence. He gets out of that culture, and he becomes a shepherd. He learns how to raise a family. He learns how to be a real man, if I could put it that way, a godly man. And so he's in this new culture. And for 40 years, it's a detour season. But here's what's amazing. The Bible says that Moses is the most humble man ever to walk the earth besides Jesus, of course. Isn't it fascinating that God raises up the most humble man on the planet to attack the most prideful nation on earth? This is not an accident. The detour seasons, God loves to develop us. This is when Moses becomes a humble man. This is when humility starts to not just be an idea, it becomes actually a real thing. Because if you've ever seen a shepherd, a shepherd's uh, lifestyle, it's not glamorous. You are taking care of sheep matter. You are literally chasing down little animals that won't listen to you. You are rescuing animals that just have no idea that you're just trying for their own good. And I guarantee you that as Moses was taking care of sheep, he saw his own self as a sheep at times and going, man, I'm that same way. And our nation, unbelievably prideful, unbelievably entitled, unbelievably like just uh, all about money. 
What kind of person needs to be raised up in this generation? Maybe a selfless person instead of a selfish person. Maybe a humble person instead of a prideful person. Maybe, can I be honest? We're in the most fake culture I've ever seen. I've only been alive from one culture, but it's pretty fake for me. <laughs> I'll never forget in the 1800s. I don't know. I have no idea. But man, this, even what Instagram is doing is destroying people. And imagine if we had the most real church, the most loving church, the most humble church. And so it's fascinating because I love the one at a time. God doesn't need a lot of people. He just needs some people to say yes. And he gets Moses to say yes. Just looking for some yeses in the church today. Saying, yes, I want to be humble. Yes, I want to serve. Yes, I want to say yes to my calling. So he gets prepared in these 40 years. And then it gets really good. He gets called by God. He gets called by God. Let's go to Exodus 3. So Exodus 3, uh, Moses is doing his thing. It's been uh, about 40 years. And one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law. Do you know that most of the time uh, in the Bible, I don't actually see any other time, God does not call lazy people. He doesn't call them. They're always doing something. They're always, they're always stewarding what's in front of them. So he's tending the flock. Elijah's pushing the plow. If, if, if I could just be honest, God is a God of movement. So wherever you're at, just start serving something. Start saying yes to something. Sometimes I always love to tell people that you're going to be a part of Mission Church. Just don't come here and then go to another church on a Thursday night. Find a place and start serving. And watch God call you in the midst of that serving. And so uh, Moses is tending the uh, flock. The priest of the Midian, he, fled, uh, he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him. There's another Christophany. Come on now. Uh, in the blazing fire from the middle of the bush. Moses stared in amazement. Now let's just be honest. You can't just read past this. A bush is on fire but not being consumed and it's talking to him. Would we all be like, uh, excuse me? Uh, huh? You know, and the, the, the bush basically calls out, Moses. And you're like, what the what? You know? So he is amazed. I think that's an understatement, okay? Moses said to himself, why isn't the bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming and take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. The Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks. I think he's waiting for us to respond, here I am. And this is when it gets really good. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. This is one of the most powerful pictures, and this is for another sermon for another day, but... I think that in the church, you have two types of Christians. One that just gravitate towards the loving God. God is so loving. I can do whatever I want. He's going to love me and he's going to forgive me. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> that's scripture. But that's not all of God. Our deity is not love. Our deity does mark himself as a, a God who loves and is love. But then you look at that scripture and there's this holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you got other Christians that God's Holy. And man, when you meet God, you'll be like Isaiah. And you'll be like, I'm afraid. I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and if you do anything wrong, you have no idea what you're doing. You better get your life in order. He's a holy God, and he will kill you. <laughs> but in the church, literally, you have those two people that, and in the burning bush, you have this amazing moment, an all-consuming God with Jesus in the bush, the burning bush, the angel of the Lord, saying, man, I, I love my people so much. And I love Moses so much. Moses has done nothing to receive this, but God loves his people so much he pursues Moses. It does not kill Moses, but calls Moses. So you see a loving God and a holy God. All one, and God even shows you, hey, I'm holy. Don't, don't get casual around me. Don't just, I'm calling you. I'm pursuing you. But because I'm calling and pursuing you doesn't mean that you come casually to me like, oh, hey, what's up, God? What you want from me? Oh, good to see you. Nice to see you. Oh, daps in the fire. Cool. Okay, good talk. 
No, he says, I'm calling you, but you better understand who's calling you, the holy, all-powerful God. And so he calls Moses. And then this is when it gets even better. Let's keep going. Do not come any closer. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Do you ever feel like you're not good enough? You ever feel like you, you just, you just if, if people knew really how you've lived your life, like people wouldn't be around you? If people even just saw this last week, if, if there was a Truman Show camera on you for your whole life, how many people would go, wow, that person is, I got stuff. I see them on Sunday, but they're different on Monday. And when God declares, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses knows he's a murderer. And he knows now God knows he's a murderer because now he knows who this guy is. He is the Almighty. But what he's saying in this statement, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's saying, I'm the God of knuckleheads. <laughs> Abraham was a knucklehead. He, he literally, like I told him, like, hey, him and his wife are going to have a kid. He starts sleeping with the servant. Like, who does that? You know what I'm saying? Abraham gets scared. He literally gives his wife, he starts pimping her out instead of, because he's afraid he's going to get killed. Hey, I'm the God of that guy. Did you know that? Jacob, oh, yeah, we just talked about him last week. Oh, you know Jacob? Yeah, he's a deceiver, a liar, a coward. Yeah, I'm the God of that guy. I could be the God of Moses too. Would you like that? And I think God says to you today, hey, you think you need to be perfect? No, I'm the God of knuckleheads. I take knuckleheads and I use them to do great things and I redeem knuckleheads. And if you want to be, I, I, hey, he's the God of Tyler. I love that it says he's not the God of Israel because Jacob becomes Israel. He says, I'm the God of Jacob. That, that, there's, that's, there's something to be said about that. And so my, my prayer today, if you could just hear this, is that as we navigate together, that God wants to use you. And so he calls Moses. Now, a lot of us are like, well, yeah, if a burning bush called me, I would say yes. Could we all agree with that? Like if you're like walked out today and you're like, is that tree on fire? Oh, all right. Oh, take my shoes off, you know. What's up? Well, hello, God. And you find out it's just a fire. Oh, never mind. <laughs> um, but if we actually had a burning bush moment, I think all of us would say, yeah, of course I'd say yes to the calling. Yes, I'd be different. The burning bush, the scholars, the, the term they used over and over again I was studying, it's a, it's a paradigm buster. A bush should burn up. That is the, what is natural. And the natural cause of a bush catching on fire is it should burn up. But it wasn't burning up. So the, the paradigm buster for Moses is he saw something that wasn't natural, so therefore it drew him to something that was supernatural. And so God calls Christians to now be paradigm busters. And if I could just be honest, there are burning bushes that you've just been walking by for years. Here's a burning bush that's a paradigm buster. How can you have everything but feel like you have nothing? How can you be successful and eat anything you want and have all the information? You have now Google and you can search for everything, but you still feel empty. That's called a burning bush. It should make you ask questions. Who am I? Why am I still empty if I have everything? I've got the house, I've got the relationships, I've got the job, but I still feel empty. It's called a burning bush. God is calling you. He's saying, this world cannot satisfy you. Another burning bush is you see people who have found the living God and you see their life. My, my dad, was, it was fascinating. They visited last week and we're sitting around the table the next morning after church and my dad's drinking his coffee and he goes, I was telling your mom, we, we can't take credit for you. And I go, what do you mean? We don't even know what this is. Like, like, like you, like, we, you know, like our life, like, we, we, didn't, we don't even know how this could happen with you. And my mom, you know, she goes, Bob, it's called the Lord. The Lord did it, <laughs> you know. And, and you know, it, it was a special moment. But, but what my dad is saying, he's going, you're a paradigm buster. 
You're a burning bush in my life. I don't understand. How did this happen? Our whole family, suicide, divorce, poverty, and you have this marriage, because he wasn't just talking about Sunday church. Rachel and I, we have this life that he doesn't know how it happened because it didn't happen from this world. It happened from heaven. Paradigm buster. These are the burning bushes. And so when somebody calls and they have an encounter, because if I'm being honest, you don't need to use God. You don't need to tell God to give you this. You need an encounter with God. The one thing to hurt all the hurting things that you can't fix and you feel plagued, the thing that you need most of all is an encounter with God. I go back to my life. The one thing that changed it. I remember coming home and I was walking into my bedroom. And I just, I lost it. I encountered the living God in my bedroom. I encountered him in a bedroom where it wasn't a holy place. I was a teenage kid. I had girlfriends. It's the last place I think I would, I would meet the living God. Place I would rock Tupac, rap about things I shouldn't rap about in that room. I would write down the lyrics so I could memorize them. You know what I'm saying? Because I couldn't memorize them. I'd literally like, look at the lyrics and I'd be listening. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Trick what lace do, that only mace do. Got a lot of girls that would love to replace you. Say it to your face, boo, not behind your back. I mean, I was, I was, I was, given, I was given time. I was given time to memorizing. You better grab your Glock when you see Tupac. I mean, I can't even sing some of them to you. This room was not a holy room. And I walk into that room, and there's something that was just, I was empty, but I had everything. I was starting on the basketball team. I, I had a, a girlfriend. I had friends. I, I had all those things, but I felt so empty. And it was weird because I remember going, man, when I become a starter on a high school basketball team, and oh my gosh, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And I still wasn't fulfilled. And for hours, I lost it, and I cried, and I remember the, 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 the fire of God, if I could put it that way, the, the, the baptism, the Holy Spirit, everything, I just, I literally walked into this presence. I was surrounded by God, and for hours, I just wept, and I've never been the same. I did not achieve that. I received that. Some of you just got to give God some time and say, God, I'm going to pursue you. I know you're closer than I think you are. I want to encounter you, and I want to be free. God is after your freedom. There's this verse that you'll see over and over again through Exodus 5 through 10 as Moses is called to set the people free. And it's Exodus 9. I'll just read Exodus 9, but it's in Exodus 5. It's uh, all throughout. It says, go back to Pharaoh, the Lord who commanded Moses. Tell him this is what the Lord, the God of the, uh, of the Hebrews says. Let my people go. And we've seen the movies with Charlton Heston, if you haven't, it's old, but you basically, it's famous. He's like, let my people go, you know, and that's all we know, but that's not the verse. Hollywood takes out the most important part. It says, let my people go so they can worship me. That, that, he doesn't want you just, we think freedom is doing whatever we want. That's not where freedom is found. Freedom is not found in chaos. Freedom is not found in walking around and not seeing what we need. Freedom is found in saying, I found the one who gives me peace and joy and freedom, and his name is Jesus. Let my people go, America, so they can worship me. Let my people go, prosperity, so they can worship me. This is what he's saying. And, and we, we, we're so deceived that we actually think that's not actually the real answer. Your career is what you get paid for. That's what your career, your career is what you get paid for. Your calling is what you're made for. And some of you think your career is what's supposed to fulfill you. No, it's just where you make a paycheck. But your calling is what you're made for. Your calling is you're made to worship. You are made to receive love from God. You are made to give and serve your life to the kingdom. And when you actually live the way you are made, you don't feel unfulfilled. You start to feel so fulfilled, you had no idea this could actually be your life. 
So now Moses has been prepared and he's been called. Two amazing moments. And then he gets used by God. And it's this amazing thing because God uses him to go to Pharaoh and even the people of Egypt. And there's this verse in, uh, in chapter 9 too that I, I won't read. Go back and read it, please. But uh, it says that as these plagues start coming, we're going to talk about the plagues. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. It says as the plagues start coming, that Pharaoh, it, there's two things that happen. And this is more of a uh, theological thing that we'll talk about some other time. But it says that Pharaoh's hardened his heart. But it also says that God's hardening Pharaoh's heart. It goes back and forth all the time through this, this, these chapters. But something that we read past, because everybody wants to get caught up on that, like, well, then God, did God design Pharaoh to destroy him? Or did, did Pharaoh do this? Or does God know ahead of time? And these are, you know, different theological Calvinist views or Arminianism or whatever one you want to look at. But, but really what we miss in this is that it says throughout this, the plagues of everything falling apart, it says that some of the Egyptians started going, whoa, these lowercase gods are not real gods. There's a real God. And even the Egyptians start turning away from bondage and start turning to the one to worship. It's an amazing thing. So let's talk about the plagues real quick. God uses Moses. He uses Moses to communicate. He uses Moses to lead. Uh, the Israelites don't even want to follow him, to be honest. There's all these tensions. But I just want to talk about the plagues real quick because I think it's uh, really one of the most powerful moments in this story. There's a handful of plagues. And the first plague if, uh, we can talk about, it's the Nile. So the Nile, of course, represents, and each, each plague represents one of Egypt's gods. And uh, God, of course, says, I am. And he's really showing, I'm the God. These are not gods. And so that's, of course, a picture of the plagues. But um, conservative scholars and even what you call liberal scholars, there's just all these thoughts on like, okay, well, was the plagues like God pushing a button to have it happen? Or was it a natural progression? Because the first one is the Nile uh, gets turned into blood. Basically, a conservative scholar would say that something happened in the Nile, it got toxic. And so the Nile literally gets turned into blood. The, the thing that was their, their cash cow turns into a toxic thing. And so it becomes toxic. And, and because the, the, the Nile River becomes toxic, uh, frogs have to flee out of the river. And they literally, I mean, so many frogs, you couldn't see anything. So, so scholars think it has to be billions. I even, I'm going to use the word, zillion, imagine zillions of frogs everywhere where you can't even step without a frog. To a 10-year-old little kid would be like, wow, that's a cool. But to anybody who actually really, I realize that would be the worst thing ever, you know. And so frogs are in houses. And then the frogs die. So then you now have this natural progression. What happens with the frogs? The, the gnats and flies start infesting everywhere. It says you can't even see the sun. There's so many gnats and flies. And so there's this natural progression, the gnats and flies, and then becomes an epidemic that the cows uh, start to die. And so all the livestock in Egypt starts dying. And so there's just this natural progression. And so a lot of people uh, who aren't believers and even try to like prove the Bible wrong, like, well, if you just see what happened, it's just this natural progression. But then I love what the Lord does. Is he doesn't stop it at that because then, of course, people, uh, people start getting infected with their skin. And then, and then there's this epidemic of hail and locusts. And there's all these things through Exodus 5 through 10. And scholars say it's, it's so obvious if you really look at what God's trying to show us. It is the opposite of Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 is, it is chaos. There is no order. And God starts speaking to creation. And he creates this perfect ecosystem. And he creates this uh, earth and it says it's good and it is good and it is good and then he creates mankind he says it's very good and he says it's not good for man to be alone though they must have relationship so he creates Eve and so now there's relationship and the garden is just this perfect creation because when God said it there was obedience and it was chaos to order but then when the plagues happen, it's the reverse of Genesis 1 through 2. And what God is trying to show us through the plagues this is a powerful picture is he goes when there is no obedience when there is a stubbornness of heart, 
it will create chaos. And so it even creates ecosystem chaos. It is the world unraveling in front of our face. It's the opposite of the world coming in order. It is the opposite. And we take for granted that the world is spinning perfectly around the sun. We take for granted that water still rains. We take for granted all these things. But God is showing that when there is disobedience, things fall apart. Now this is just an isolated incident in the Bible. Where else can we see this? We see it in lives. Imagine you have a, um, you're 55 years old and you go to a doctor. And a doctor says to you, hey, your, your heart, you need to stop eating cholesterol. You need to start eating this way because you've been eating all the wrong things. It's been hurting your heart. You need to eat differently. And you walk out of there and go, what kind of doctor is that trying to control my life? I can do whatever I want. I'm free to do whatever I want. And so you decide not to listen to the doctor and you eat whatever you want. And what happens? Your body falls apart and you have a heart attack. What happens if you're a married couple and God gives you words serve your wife put her first but you put yourself first instead it says the wife oh serve your husband honor your husband but instead of honoring and serving your husband you talk terrible about your husband and you don't serve your husband and then you guys try to fight for yourselves to be first instead of putting your, each other first because it shows in the word of God that we should be actually in a serving competition with each other trying to meet each other's needs but instead you're not that you're fighting for each other's needs instead like give me mine 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 and so you don't listen the way God created marriage and you wonder why there is chaos in the house it is falling apart you could almost say your marriage is plagued it is plagued because you're not doing things in the right order you aren't worshiping the one that would set it free if I could just be honest look at people's lives God says to forgive and you don't forgive God says to give Give, and you don't give. God says to love and you don't love. God says to be faithful and you're not faithful. And then you look at your life and you wonder why your life is falling apart. It's Exodus 5 through 10. One thing after another feels like a plague. And God is trying to get your attention through the plague saying, come worship me. Stop allowing your life to fall apart from all these things. Look at the church. The church is called to worship the all-powerful God. The church is called to proclaim the name of God. The church is called to be different from the world. But when the church gossips, when the church is selfish, when the church is lax, when it's slothful, the church falls apart. It's plagued. My prayer for you is you would see this, that one of the plagues it says at the very end in Exodus, the ninth one, it's, it's a powerful picture, but It's really dark. Not about you, but I feel like America's really dark right now. But literally, it's a physical darkness. It says that in Genesis, before creation, it says that so that darkness was over the earth. There's always there was darkness. And then after the darkness, God created light. But the ninth uh, plague, it says that there was darkness over the uh, over Egypt for three days. So dark that nobody moved. So dark that it was this eerie feeling of just literally like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing I've ever experienced or felt. It's the ninth plague. And Moses is used to grab the Israelites. Of course, we have the, the Passover, the, the firstborns. And then uh, Moses is used to create freedom and take them out. And of course, the Red Sea. And that's another sermon for another day. But in Genesis, there was darkness, and then there was light, and then men sinned. And then in Egypt, there was darkness, and God pulled the people out of it. And you see this darkness kind of like theme of just things falling apart, and then darkness is towards the end of it. And I always go, when I read the Bible, Lord, what are you showing us about you, our Savior? What does it show us about our Savior? In Matthew 27, it says this. 
At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Darkness fell. Darkness fell at three o'clock. Exodus 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward heaven and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick that you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other and no one moved. In Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. Can you see what Jesus was, was here to do? It's the ultimate exodus. He says, my people are plagued by sin. They're plagued by living for a different culture. I'm gonna come. I'm gonna take the plague of sin onto my own life and the darkness of this world. I'm gonna be unmade, just like Exodus 5 through 10. He, the, 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 the land of Egypt was undone. It was literally destroyed. And a lot of you feel unmade right now. You feel broken, you feel destroyed. Here's what God did. He goes, I'm gonna be the maker. Jesus is the maker of the heavens and the earth with God and the Holy Spirit. He says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna come to earth. I'm gonna be the ultimate Moses, better than Moses. I'm not gonna just have you move out geographically from bondage. I'm gonna move you out emotionally, spiritually, all of the above. And here's what I have to do to do it. I've gotta take all the plagues of the world on and darkness will cover the earth one more time. And I'm gonna carry all the darkness but I will be unmade so you can be remade. I will be unmade so you can dream again. Don't discount what Jesus did on the cross. We, just because you can't experience it, just that you don't really understand it. He took everything that was gonna destroy mankind onto his own life and then conquered it for us. Why would you run back to that stuff? God is offering you an exodus to freedom, to joy, to peace. And all he's asking you to do is say, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. And you say, yes, Jesus. Will you bow your heads with me? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.